written by T-Man. Master Nation, How the Country Affects Your Wellness Journey Okay, to spare you the long explanation and details from my point of view, would you be open to hear from a different perspective outside of institutional official scholars' definition of nationalism and capitalism? To put it short, nationalism is when ownership of production is owned and controlled by we the people, in partnership with the employees, that's managed and overseen by the Congress that we elect. The employees of that company own the means of production and its profits, then, we the people, through the Treasury, receive the fair tax, just like collective governments doing with the Postal Service, Amtrak, Fannie Mae, GM and every major Fortune 500 company. More details and link below. Capitalism is when the ownership is centralized among private investors, they rarely have your family, and the country's best interest at heart, as this is a perfect example, check this link below and use the employees as chattel, treated like a number instead of a human being and leverage the energy and soul of the employees to boost profits. Now, are you ready for my complete explanation on it? It's pretty long, about a 30-minute listen on average so get comfortable and listen away. 1. Nationalizing healthcare. In order to cut down on corruption, price gouging and massive, profit first, patient second, mentalities in an industry that most U.S. heirs depend on for their life-saving procedures and regimens, and the executives know this, we might have to nationalize the entire industry. As soon as that happens under leadership that mirrors you and I, we can then focus on the key issue of diseases and real health care. Everything in moderation is keeping everything as a healthy balance. But what is, healthy? To me, it's everything in balance. For instance, your pH level is an example of healthy determining if your body is more acidic or more alkaline, or if it's balanced. Sometimes you need more iron, sometimes more protein, other times more carbs, whatever your body's craving, it could be requesting that to be balanced. Again, everything in moderation. Medication is not all bad or evil, with moderation, medication can be very helpful and even life-saving for the patient. The ideal goal of all medication in my world is, how can the patient use this medication temporarily or a short period of time to ease the immediate pain or discomfort of a disease or sickness while we find the root cause of it in their road to a full lifetime recovery and quality of life? And the best way to find the root cause of any ailments and diseases is to ask the patient a series of personal questions regarding their family history, daily lifestyle, how long they had that lifestyle, this will determine if they are active or sedentary, and ask about their diet. Asking about their diet is asking them their favorite meals and how often they eat it. You'd be so surprised on how much food matters, and its relationship to our mental and physical health. You'll also be surprised on how our health is directly connected to the influence we get from family beliefs and habits associated with food as well as how we see ourselves. The next series of questions would focus on their mindset and how they see and feel about themselves. This is important because the way we think can be influenced by not only our diet, but our lifestyle as well. Food and habits can influence our cells, how we think, and it can affect our hormones including the thyroids, endocrine system and lymph nodes. As you get deeper into these details of the patient, you're now doing what we call preventive healthcare measures that get to the root of their lifestyle and dieting in the ABC process. A. When you introduce them to both versions of the power of raw thinking, both positive and negative, in both spiritual, and scientific terms to stimulate critical thinking for themselves or their caretaker, then you move to step, b, 
possibly help them on their journey of slowly and safely weaning them off of chemical-altering synthetic drugs branded as medication which is the temporary fix, into step, C, while getting to the root cause, a more natural holistic approach their body automatically resonates and communicate with to safely speed up the recovery. It's also very important to know that there are an intense amount of politics and bureaucracy involved in the medical business if you haven't noticed it by now when you go see a doctor. The amount of red tape spawned from so many industries depending on the paperwork, insurance, as well as navigating through the legality of it all can hinder a doctor from getting to the root of the issue. That could be why less than 10% of their six-figure tuition medical education touches on food and nutrition, like I said, food matters. So knowing this, could there be a possibility in the age of information and immense knowledge at our fingertips, paired with the ability to find the answers we seek from the ether and the divine without the politics and bureaucracy? Is there a possibility that you could gain more raw knowledge on getting to the root cause of ailments the industry claims, incurable, to where it is possibly curable from a ninth grade dropout kid with barely a GED who blogs and podcasts about shit that affects our wellness journey? Watching my family fall apart from the lack of knowledge on managing preventative ailments has put me on a mission of seeing my family and country healthy, apart from some pharmaceutical funding experts. Experts is what's killing us. I don't know about you, but I'm my own expert for me. So to recap, the patient is in pain and discomfort, so the last thing they're thinking about is pleasure and all things good that can happen. So medication is a manageable quick fix to put them in a state of feeling better which in turn put them in a more receptive state of suggestions that can improve their well-being in the long run. As they improve their state of mind, whether through meditation, yoga, prayer or other means they feel more comfortable and aligned with, you then can introduce them to a better nutritional regimen which is featured in the link below, and physical lifestyle practice. As they improve their choice of diet and nutrition as well as improve their mental health through spiritual endeavors, they start to slowly feel more optimistic about life, their hormones start to improve, the chemical makeup of their brain start to heal, thus, help slowly and safely reduce the dosage of their medications until it becomes a placebo, to finally no longer needing it. Keep in mind our products is not meant to treat, cure, prevent, or diagnose any sickness, ailments or diseases, and these statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This process means the company that produced the mind-altering chemical medication does not have a customer anymore. They lost a client who used their medication when the patient is provided a preventive care method. The medical-industrial complex is not in the best interest of the patient, or anyone in America and the pharmaceutical industry's logic to stay in business. They, Big Pharma and Medical Cartel, are in business as long as Americans get and stay sicker and sicker, so for your and my family's sake don't think for a minute that the industry will let up anytime soon because according to their investors' relations, they plan on playing the long game, generations of sick children and adults. So slowly weaning off of drugs is bad business, and a no-no for the pharmaceutical industry who must keep up with quarterly earnings, profits for shareholders, even politicians who own their shares, and influence via lobbying. This is capitalism. In other words, your road to recovery is never in the best interest of the healthcare industry. The method I described used to happen over 100 years ago before big medicine changed it due to capitalism. 2. Why nationalizing might be the real American way? Let me make this clear, there is a big difference between the nationalism ideology apart from nationalizing an industry. According to Webster Dictionary, 
Nationalism is a sense of national consciousness exalting one nation above all others, and placing primary emphasis on promotion of its culture and interests as opposed to those of other nations, exceptionalism as an example. According to Wikipedia, nationalism holds that each nation should govern itself, free from outside interference. So to be simple, nationalism that I've seen personally, states that Americanism, i.e., capitalism, is better for all nations all over the world despite different political systems built on their people's beliefs, cultures and customs, which justifies colonialism and military intervention. The nationalism beliefs regardless of country including the U.S., reminds me of a cult like any other groups exalting themselves as superior over anyone outside of their ideology whether by skin color, alleged ancestry or tradition, religion or even language. This can also create a recipe for division and domestic imbalance which gives foreign countries the group despises an advantage over them, whether you call it socialism, communism or monarchy, most in other countries are united regardless of if we agree with how and why they're united or not. Nationalizing an industry is dealing with the economics over ideologies. It's when the Congress on behest of the people acquire the target company if that company holds massive influence over a certain industry that could be an asset to national security or compromised by outside groups. The company is then repurposed, restructured as a co-op and ownership returns to its employees while the taxes paid is sent directly to the Congress. So on one hand, nationalism that benefits one group of people at the cost of everyone else, nationalizing that benefits everyone equally. The American Dream brand might have been built on the premise that every family was abundant, healthy, well-informed, educated, and happy regardless of your skin color, nationality or gender, in my ideal world. When Congress ran an organization ranging from Fannie Mae to Amtrak, it was doing it on behalf of the American people, two nationalized institutions that give the American people the assumption that they cannot function well simply because they are owned by the people, but managed by the Congress. What was sold to the American people was these institutions are owned by the government, without stating that it's owned by the people. So, if you give the American people the illusion that these institutions are always broke or facing a deficit, how would they be inclined to demand Congress to share the profits with the people if they were financially sound? Think about it, these are companies that is providing a service that people pay to use. Millions of people regardless of, citizenship, use Amtrak, the Postal Service, and Fannie Mae for transportation, logistical and financial services. The products they provide are usually not cheap, but millions of people are buying them which generates collectively billions of dollars in revenue and millions in profit. But, the politicians are banking on you and I to never demand proof of their financials. If these institutions are ran for the people, then we have not been informed citizens that the Constitution speaks on. Which brings me to my point on nationalism versus capitalism. If the pharmaceutical industry was nationalized in my idea world, it would be ran by the Department of Health and Human Services with one agenda, to provide immediate relief to challenges and health-related crisis of all Americans until a long-term natural solution is proven to be safe, effective, and can be provided and utilized for long-term care. To prove that the government is serious about this approach, I would be glad to try it first as a living testament that it works for myself and my family. There is nothing more vital to national security than the health, vitality and well-being of all citizens from a holistic approach first, before exploring synthetic methods. However, it's important to go slow with a patient whose system is already accustomed to synthetic drugs. Although everyone has a choice to what they put in their body, there will be an alternative if they seek it without politics or bureaucracy. 
The DHS will be directed to buy out all major pharmaceutical firms including those who produce life-saving medication and treatment to patients with life-threatening and chronic illnesses, that, due to the resources of the United States government, these medications will be available, free of charge to the patient, and the producers of these medications will be promptly compensated for their work in producing it. Again, the health, vitality and well-being of our citizens is a matter of national security. If we are willing to spend over $800 billion on not only weapons of mass destruction, and send aid to foreign nations, we are more than capable of financially covering the total cost of medication, preventive medicine, and the full compensation of the men and women that dedicate their lives in finding cures, providing treatments, and medical care to patients all across the country. Therefore, instead of management worried about producing quarterly profits for invisible shareholders, billionaire hedge funds and investment bankers who does not have sick patients' interest at heart, they can now rest assured that they work for a government that values their talents and focus on quality and safety. Nationalizing any organization does not mean we're becoming a Soviet Union-like country, nor are we becoming another China. What it means is, we the people, are returning what is has always been lawfully and rightfully ours. We own our labor, our ideas, and the fruits of those ideas and labor. It's also important to clarify what I mean by labor. It could be working at an hourly or annual salary job, but it can also be a labor of being a parent raising a child or children, painting, starting a band, working out to stay fit, writing a book, any type of creativity is labor that should be celebrated, and the fruits of that labor respected and acknowledged that it's your property. We are returning the ownership of production back to you and the American people. It means, through Congress, a company answers to their employees and, we the people, and all profits belong to that organization. Then, the fair tax paid on that profit is then sent to the Treasury, which the Treasury then shows an audit of how much it collected from all companies, to the Congress, for we the people to see and be informed about. Therefore, that revenue is then shared among we the people, which in turn justify covering the cost of health care and other vital needs. In capitalism, that profit would be sent to a small group of shareholders who is not guaranteed to even live in America, and that profit which belongs to the workers are siphoned to these private powerful capitalists, instead of the owners of the national company. If you are aware of a co-op, America is one huge co-op, the employees own it, and we the people use our economic might to support it, and the people would hire me as their president to oversee the management of the company, and my job is to nationalize the healthcare, utilities, energy and communication industries that, we the people, deem essential to national security. Now, although this whole thing with owning companies by the government is currently happening, which you can find out in our episode, Mental Heist, the people are not capitalizing from it. It is still being siphoned by powerful wealthy institutions and a small group of elite politicians and lobbying firms. This is only happening because the media and education as well as religion has convinced us that nationalizing, ownership by the people, is such a communist, leftist, socialist thing to do, and it even convinced us that the government would overreach and control every aspect of American life, as if they're not doing that already. But we must also be aware of the fact that if you're not planning being well-informed, educated, choose a healthy active lifestyle, improve your vocabulary and literacy, and you are choosing to continue allow influence from biased media formats, then yes, being afraid of this idea would suit you well. But if you take a deeper look at the fact that America is a communist regime disguised as a capitalist nation, then the first sign that says we are is you hearing my proposal here, and actually agreeing with it, or at least saying, it's worth a try, or, he has a point, 
would prove the system we've been having over the past 100 plus years has not been working equally or fairly for everyone including you and your family, and need to be reformed. 3. Nationalize Exxon, Facebook, Pfizer and Southern Company Back in 2008 when the federal government took over Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, General Motors and Chrysler, they bought it on behalf of the American people. The same employees that built the Cadillacs and GM Denali were the same ones building them when the American people bought them. Nothing changed, motivations to build high-quality products didn't dry up, and the same intelligent minds were still there. You would have to convince me that overnight, when the people via the federal government take over an organization, almost 90% of its workforce and C-suite experience an overnight brain drain, becomes mentally slow and don't know how to do anything. If it's true we live in the most highly educated, the most entrepreneurial, and the most technologically advanced nation on earth, how do you justify a government all of a sudden dumb everyone down in that industry while the military is utilizing the most advanced equipment known to man, and some of these workers in these companies were military veterans, how do you justify that? Despite popular sentiment from mostly right-wing conservatives, the government and its workers are more intelligent than they portray, and I know there are people who work in government of all levels just as entrepreneurial and intelligent as you and I, they just need a leadership that acknowledge and celebrate it, while clarifying we're all in this together. Exxon, is one of the most profitable companies in America if not the world that buys barrels of oil from oil producers, refines it to various petroleum products, and sell it at retail ranging from resin used in pharmaceutical products, making plastic, jet fuel for aircraft, to what you get at the pump. We nationalize it by again, buying out the private shareholders at a premium, then restructure it. After nationalization, the profit will then belong to the employees of Exxon, and a percentage of it in the form of the fair tax belong to we the people via the Congress, sent to the Treasury. Under nationalism, petrol would no longer exceed $1.50 a gallon for regular and $1.75 for diesel by providing the incentive to lower the prices by investing in research and development which will help utilize technological advancements to lower cost of production, thus, pass the savings on to the American consumers. We might change the name to Petroil. Get it? Patriot and Oil? Facebook, the world's largest social media company is of this writing would pay off all shareholders and take over as a means of a communication utility that belongs to the people. This company would be the online champion of the freedom of speech and expression, as well as an easier port where the citizens can voice their concerns to their elected government. Remember, you and I, we the people, own the government, so if you're afraid of what government could do with this, we must examine ourselves because the government is just a mirror of who we are collectively. For example, hearing random people including those I know create faux profiles for the specific reason to spy or even stalking others, which means, Facebook brought out the NSA and CIA in almost 90% of everyday people in society. Again, government is a direct mirror of who we are as a people. Under nationalization we will rebrand the company to social. Net. Pfizer, one of the world's largest pharmaceutical firm would be rebranded and name changed after acquisition by the government, paying off its shareholders at fair market value, then restructuring it to put the health and vitality of the American people as its main priority and focal point. This could mean letting go of people and hiring new staff with similar goals and passion to make sure life-saving products and services stay at a reasonable price range. Again, the new nationalized company's focus is no longer quarterly earnings and profit, but in the assurance of providing higher quality healthcare products and services to the American people to reinforce a healthy country. 
Maybe the new name would become AmeriCare. Speaking of care, nationalize United Health Group. After paying off the shareholders at fair market value, UHC will be folded into Medicare and Medicaid to provide affordable health insurance to all Americans as part in maintaining and innovating ways to keep Americans healthy, full of vitality and informed about their well-being, thus, adding value to the overall economy and market values to families and communities. If we can utilize and invest America's robust resources and economic might to eliminate the stress of health-related costs through a nationalized United Health Group, then that is what we're going to do. We keep the name since it already has United in it. And finally, Southern Company. The parent company of Mississippi Power, Alabama Power, Georgia Power among others, as well as Pacific Gas and Electric or PG&E, having them owned and managed by the Department of the Interior or Energy, with the ultimate goal of using blockchain and quantum technology to upgrade the power grid to provide free, clean, and safe electricity to almost every home and businesses across the country. This would help lower or even eliminate energy costs to American consumers so they can use the money they save from paying a light or utility bill, and redirect it into investing in their health or whatever they see fit in their personal lives and careers. Again, turning it from a profit-focused company where cutting corners, cutting costs, thus cutting funding for research and development in exchange of boosting profits at the cost of their employees and customers, as we tragically saw in Texas a few years ago, into a quality product-focused company where blackouts and energy crisis would become a thing of the past. Now you tell me, in a land of entrepreneurs and innovative inventors, that is impossible to achieve. I dare you. Keep in mind that the one job of not only Congress and the Senate, but the POTUS, President of the United States, has that can be very simple is to improve the quality of life of all Americans by following the Bill of Rights and a modern living constitution. You are the one who is hiring me, and doing that says my job is to lower your cost of living and doing business while improving and even increasing your economic output. It is a bragging right for me if my policies enable you to improve your financial footing and upgrade your life travel more, feel better, and feel optimistic about the future. That is something to be proud of if I can help you see that within weeks after taking office. 4. What is, independence, and why I believe nationalizing enhances it? This writing is being done around the 4th of July weekend, and constantly being updated based on new information I got since then. The real question I had in my head for decades were, what is independence what does it really mean, and what did it mean from the founder's real point of view? I'll touch on that in the next episode so look out for it. Elections became a weapon of division instead of a reminder of who we are, united. Make no mistake about it, we all have differences of opinions and beliefs, and we all have different issues we face in our own respective lives, at the same time we all have something in common, human rights and an organic freedom to express what we feel liberates us. Liberation usually comes from creating which we all have the capability to do, and it all can be expressed differently ranging from public speaking to dancing, even singing to acting, collecting artifacts to even researching unknown hidden knowledge, they are all art in some form and fashion, and they all have something to contribute to all of mankind in the world. I feel politics is that callous that is designed to distract us from that human artistic connection with each other. It is the epitome of the patterns of this world, and its job is to remind us of why we are always right, and anyone who think different or believe different than us is completely wrong, and it is expressed at the ballot box. Ever since World War II, it seems that is what politics has done to us as a nation. So how can we heal from the pitfalls of politics? I believe the cure is healing the hurt within ourselves. As we invest in our personal growth, 
the more we invest in learning who we are as a spiritual being having a human experience, and to know that others will always have a different opinion apart from us, but allow them to have it, and we must set ourselves free from any opinions that believe in harming others. For what we resist, persist, and what we pay attention to, we pay for in our life experience whether we like it or not. So how do we turn elections from a weapon into a process where it's used to unite? First, my suggestion is to take out the disease. This means any sign of division must be eradicated. The first sign of this is what every politician always do during campaigns, attack ads. Yes, they have been aggressive, some even been entertaining, entertaining or not, you're the one still living paycheck to paycheck, can barely put gas in your car, childcare cost is going up, and you're in a brink of being evicted or losing your home. You still have a country that has the most stressed out society in the industrial world, and healthcare costs is at an all-time high providing the shittiest service. And worse, you still have a country that is built out of feudalism. So in a country where division might have been built into its fabric, attack ads have been the norm. But, no politician can tell you what exactly their plans are to help steer the country from point A to point B. If you have a society that does not know how to identify what they want out of life, then make a plan to bring that goal to life, how the hell do you expect them to expect the same from their elected officials? People vote for who they are, so if attack ads prompt voters to vote for one candidate over the other, it's because all they resonate with is attacking people in their own lives. Also, they put their kids, future, on layaway when they focus on instant gratification instead of a possible long-term effect of their decisions and voting. Their vote always create a ripple effect that can cause long-term consequences down the road which will end up costing everyone, for example, how much money is still being used to fund Guantanamo Bay in Cuba when the American voters can demand their elected officials to shut it down and redirect that money into mental health and rehabilitation for wounded and maimed soldiers and veterans. We also must identify what unites us in the first place. Find that one commonality, and go from there, and build onto it. Start with a universal right every human being on this planet have, and pass a law protecting that right that's for every human being in the country, and go from there. Therefore, every election, we can identify a typical politician who's only focused on election years instead of the quality of their vote that represents the protection of rights, similar to a CEO of a major corporation only focuses profits and quarterly earnings at the cost of its people in order to meet quota and quarterly earnings, sacrificing quality. This would look like a candidate for an office would spend majority of his or her campaign showing you their blueprint on how they plan to steer the country's resources in the most efficient way at the best of their abilities to enhance the value and quality of life for the American people, including the environment and natural resources. Instead of attacking their opponents because they committed a sin way back in East Bumfuck, their main focus is telling you their comprehensive plan on making sure your country will do everything in its power to protect and enhance your quality of life. The better your life, the better it benefits all including the government. 5. The federal government is completely different than a constitution government. The constitution has lots of holes in it that need to be revisited and updated for today's modern world. However, the constitution does not mention half of the government agencies we have in an assumed power. From the Department of Education to the Drug Enforcement Agency, even the Internal Revenue Code, mind you, the Constitution specifically place enforcement of corporate taxation to the elected Congress, and the United States Treasury, is not mentioned in the Constitution, which tells me this, 65% of government agencies that we have today is not represented in a constitutional republic that is democratically elected by the people, 
but is only existing in a consensual federalist and feudalistic system. What is feudalism? To keep it simple, it's the combination of the legal, economic, military, and cultural customs that is influenced by a particular group of unelected officials with ties to private organizations. Kind of like an autocracy where the people are ruled by another group of people who run institutions with ties to monopolies and corporate powers. For instance, the healthcare industry heavily influenced the policies made by the CDC and the American Heart Association regarding a quote-unquote, heart-healthy diet, and etc., while the corrections industry influenced the scheduling of particular drugs and narcotics. So when you look at the federal government apart from a constitutional government, the former has unelected individuals influencing the lives of the American people ranging from mask mandates from the CDC, the Patriot Act, TSA, mandated by the securities and defense industry, the V-chip mandate in the 90s that boosted the surveillance industry, and the tax code that benefited the accounting industry since the late 1910s as an example that these institutions are not elected by the people, thus, technically have no power over the people. However, we do live in a consensual society, meaning these federal organizations only exist because the people, allows them, to exist. The Federal Reserve might be an institution to loathe over, but in all honesty, the end of Fed crowd technically wanted to exist, because they really want to believe that their tax dollars are doing something they want to control over but believe they can't, without expecting anything in return, which gives them something to complain about. I say this because the Federal Reserve really does not have to exist, they only monetize what the constitutional government already have. The Federal Reserve is kind of like, in corporate terms, how Breburn Capital is to Apple or Cascade Investments is to Bill Gates. The Federal Reserve is the banker of the wealth the constitutional government has, on behalf of the American people. The reason I believe there are so many government agencies ranging from the FBI to the CIA, because it's something for the government to spend on because it has so much money to play with, and it gives obnoxious, egotistical narcissistic assholes something to do. These agencies are not needed, but it keeps capital moving because of what I believe one purpose. The American people do not demand government investing in it in a united cause, and, they refuse to claim the wealth for themselves to use. And the mainstream slot media, the gatekeeper of the approved information overload, make pretty damn sure, that status quo, stays that way. In a constitutional country, in a country that claims to be the most wealthiest and abundant country on earth, it's obvious that its people are also the most wealthiest and abundant collectively. I would encourage every U.S. heirs as well as everyone all over the world to realize that when your house is divided, you can't see its many benefits and opportunities. This is a universal reality. There is power in unity, and we do not have to agree with everything, but can we stand united in acknowledging human rights? If we can do that, we can draft a successful updated constitution that represents all. Until next time TE Freaks.